You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome Allison Venditti to the show. Allison is an HR expert, a parental leave expert, and an all-around advocate for women's rights in the workplace. She has built a platform for herself supporting mothers and parents in preparing for leave while they're currently at work, adjusting to leave while they're off, and then also ways to prepare to re-enter into the workforce. Now, I know leave can be a little bit of a touchy topic because from state to state, country to country, it varies depending on where you are. But the majority of us do have a conversation with our employer about the fact that we are expecting and are going to be going off, even though the time that we are going off for might vary. And then many of us navigate reintegrating back in as a completely different person and identity than when we left. And that is a lot to manage and juggle and do while also trying to navigate what your rights are as an employee when you re-enter the workplace and trying to keep in mind the things that you need to be aware of from a professional standpoint when returning to the workplace from leave. These are the kind of conversations that really get me fired up. In this episode today, Allison and I go over what the mummy track is. She shares with us some statistics about how women's income earning changes and is that a gender discrepancy or what is really at play there. She gives us some tips on ways that we can share our pregnancies with our employers. And she shares some things to keep top of mind when you're reintegrating back into the workplace after leave. These are all the practical things that I wish HR or our workplaces held our hand and walked us through because we've never done this before. And they have many people who cycle on and off of leave often in these big organizations. But Allison is here to help support us through this transition. Let's hear our conversation. When was the last time you truly felt like yourself? If you're not sure about the answer, it's time to think about your mental health. As moms, we often put ourselves on the back burner. From the moment our babies are born, our days and nights are full of responsibility, leaving it hard to sleep well, eat properly, exercise, or take care of ourselves. The more we neglect our own needs, the worse our mental health can become, leading to depression, anxiety, or other mental health struggles. But your mental health matters. The Happiest Mother Wellness Center can help. We have a growing team of mom therapists across Canada ready to offer teletherapy services. With teletherapy, you can save time and hassle by accessing virtual appointments from anywhere on your desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone. We know you're busy, so we make it as simple as possible to connect with a therapist. It's time to put yourself back on the priority list. Visit happyasamother.co slash book to schedule your free consult today. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. 
However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I've come across your platform. I see many people mention you when leave, like mat leave conversations come up, the gender wage gap, gender equality in the workplace, and many people have shared your work. And I can imagine that this is something that is so relevant for the moms and parents that listen in my audience because they're either on a leave or have maybe are approaching a leave with a sibling, um, have lived this so recently. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm so curious about how you left your more corporate job and role, I guess, and ended up in this consulting sort of platform that you've built out to support employers and mothers and parents going off on leave. How did that platform come about? Yes. So I spent my whole career in HR and HR consulting, which means that I built out like leave programs for big companies, Coca-Cola, Lowe's, Airmark, uh, in Canada, the US and Europe. So that means if you went on a short-term disability leave, long-term disability leave, workers comp or parental leave, I probably touched your program at some point because there's not that many of us who work <laughs> who work in leaves as a profession. And I probably would still be doing that today. But when my kids were three and one, I suffered a traumatic brain injury, oh, wow. which um, I was off work for three years. So ended up with a seizure disorder and hmm. I can't functionally read many other fun side effects. And they told me at the end of it that I was unemployable. So they gave me a letter and said, you know, good luck. Hmm. Have a nice life. I was 33 at the time. So then I started doing some career coaching. But the problem with career coaching, if you're just dealing with individuals one-on-one is it's not enough. So the women I ended up working with were mostly mothers. And we started Moms at Work with the understanding that there is bias that we can fix, not just by telling women to ask for more and to demand things, but that there's changes that we can make in companies. I know that because I did them. Mm-hmm. And then also it, legislatively. So Moms at Work does all three things. We help women, like working mothers. We work with companies to help support those changes. And we also advocate in Canada and the US for changes to support working mothers. You use the term bias. And I'm like, it's not known to us. We don't know that we have this bias. We don't know that it's influencing our decision making. How does that play out when it comes to hiring moms or or leaves that you've seen in the HR world? So it's called the motherhood penalty. Like it's so prevalent, they give it a name. Hmm. So when we talk about the wage gap, it's actually not like men versus women. It's women without children make much more than women with children. So it's actually closer to par for men and women without children. So the statistics show that for every child a woman has, you will earn 5% loss. So I have three kids. That's 15% right there. The other thing that happens is there's something called a fatherhood bonus. So women are seen as less capable, less committed to their work. Their ability to work is questioned because they're raising children. And on the other hand, when men have children, they're seen as more stable, more mature, and they're considered a provider. So that's called a fatherhood bonus matched with the motherhood penalty creates this huge gap. And everybody on here will know that, you know, when you think about having a baby in my head, I was like, oh, a couple of months off, you know, I'll roll right back into it. But if you have more than one kid, it's actually quite a long period of your life that you're off on leave, coming back, off on leave, coming back. 
Um, and that also can slow down your career progression, but mostly it's bias. Mostly it's an assumption that women care less about their jobs because they have children, which is not true. It is so fascinating to me, like how the same behavior or the same transition in life can be interpreted so differently for mothers as it is for fathers. Like that blows my mind to hear that. Yeah. And work wasn't designed for women. Like work as we know it really started in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And let's be clear, like women couldn't open their own bank accounts until the 70s in Canada and in the US. And, you know, when you got pregnant at work, you had to quit your job, right? You had to quit your job. If they found out you were pregnant, you were no longer employable. So this is a very significant jump to where we are now. But those biases hold strong and hold true. And I hear them, like I still work and do HR work, I still hear them. People question, you know, if she's going to have a baby soon, what do you think? And I was like, this is illegal (laughs) to have that conversation, discriminatory, but it's very real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like when you understand the context of where these biases come from, I guess, like the history as you're explaining it and we've come some way, but like the bias is still prevalent or the undertone of it is still there, as you said. And it's just, wow. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I see the need, like, obviously, I know the need for your platform, but I see it so much more clearly when these statistics are presented, or we've got a lot of moms on leave in the US, for example, that their job isn't even protected still for them to return, or they're not guaranteed any sort of paid leave. I don't know the system there inside and out, because I'm based in Canada, but still even there, leave is like up in the air or varies like state to state even. And you know, when we're looking at the U.S., let's be clear that Canada has the population of California. So the fact that the state system exists and every state is functioning differently makes sense because it's such a much larger population. Hmm. But even despite the length of leave, it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to impact the motherhood penalty. It doesn't matter if you're gone for a year or four weeks. It seems to be the fact that you're having a baby, the fact that they think that you now care more about this thing you know, frankly, I do, but it doesn't make me uncommitted to my job. And so that's where the bias come from. And we thought for a very long time that it must have, the leave must play a part in it. And it really doesn't. So like I went back to work after 11 weeks, I'm self-employed with my third. No one said to my husband when he was back at work, you know, how are you doing this? How are you managing this? Like, I can't believe you're doing this. It's like that conversation never happened there. It happened with me though. And so we see the biases every day in our regular day lives. And those weren't people I worked with. They were just random strangers who had an opinion on how long I should have off with my child. The fact that it's not the length of leave as well is like also mind boggling for me to wrap my mind around the, I guess the set of biases that kick in, as you said, and it sounds like those are that women aren't going to be as devoted to their jobs or that they're going to be, I don't know what, like less professional or like less functional in their role. Like, I don't even know. These seem so backwards as beliefs, but obviously when we enter into motherhood, our priorities do shift. It is the birth of a new identity of sorts, but it also creatively stirs something up in a lot of women to push harder in their career. I've seen in a lot of ways as well. Like it doesn't have the same response in everybody either. It's such an overgeneralization. And I think that's it. It is an overgeneralization. And the same thing happens to like fathers. They have a same generalization, except that theirs doesn't impact their ability to earn money and feed their children. So that's why I see them a little bit differently. But, you know, for as downtrodden as this sounds, like there are 15 CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Of those 15, 11 of them are mothers. So 
you know, it's not all doom and gloom for mothers. It's like we know that typically high performing female leaders often have children. So we know that especially post pandemic, there is a huge push to get more women into leadership, like huge, because a lot of female leaders are leaving. And we're recognizing the absolute brilliance that women bring to senior level positions because female managers managed to hold on to their staff at almost twice the rate as men during the pandemic. It's because women lead differently. Hmm. And in times of crisis, that can be very, very compelling to companies to see that in action. Right. And the more diversity we have in the room, frankly, the better, right? The more perspectives that are contributing to policies and decisions being made. And I think that women have been left out of these decisions and these policies around leave in other areas for far too long. And I wouldn't even say it's diversity. I'm like, women make up 50% of the population. So shouldn't 50% of your like senior leadership be female? Like that just doesn't like none of it makes any sense. And that's because like the same structure of work, you know, for all the other people who are not the 15 CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, the majority of men have a stay at home wife in those positions. And that is how success has been set up for those positions, that you can do that very big Mm -hmm. job and have someone working full time to keep everything else going for you. Right. Yeah, I totally see that. I can totally see that. So like, in my mind, knowing that our employers, our bosses, our managers might have these biases about leaves in general, right? One of the things I love about your platform that I came across in prepping for the interview is even just how do we have this conversation with our boss in a way that is professional and that we can control some of our anxiety, but we can also approach it like appropriately. I had never considered that before. I'd love for you to share some of those tips with us. So I'm going to say two things. First is I'm going to say When people have biases, it takes a long time. It's not simply doing a webinar on anti-bias training. That's not going to do anything, right? They don't. We know that. We've we've seen the studies that anti-bias training is like a piece, but it's not all of it. Mm -hmm. So what we've worked on at Moms at Work is like, I'm really, 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 we run a group called The Collective. and, And the idea was that like mothers have always been left out, even of female networking, right? You know, those events that start at like four o'clock and you have to pick up your kids at five and then like you're not even included in women's groups. So I'm telling women that as mothers, I'm like, most of us are in our thirties, forties, some of us like moving into our fifties as mothers. I'm like, you are going to be the leader. You are going to be that manager who's having a conversation at work around leave. And I'm like, it's going to be up to you to change it. So being aware of that stuff and bringing that to the workplace, because most of the people that we're working with and you're working with are not junior in their career. They're quite senior. Hmm. And so then I'm putting it to women to be like, it's your job to take that next big role and to have these conversations with junior staff who are women early on about it's okay. And we really want to see this with you. And, you know, I've been through this process too. Like having those conversations with people 20 years younger than you is really, really important. But if you're like, yes, Allison, that's lovely, but wrote about right now. If you're having a conversation with your boss and like everybody has to read the room, right? If you've got a pretty open boss, you have a great relationship. That's a different conversation where you can be open and honest. And if you have someone who has deep biases, I know other people tell people like just to go for it, whatever, but that's an unsafe conversation. It's an unsafe conversation. If you know someone who's going to discriminate you based on your pregnancy, I'm not going to tell you to go in guns blazing, say I'm taking 
nine months or whatever, if you have someone who you have a more difficult relationship with, then I really encourage people to go through HR so that you have it all documented. Mm -hmm. People don't like the reality of the fact that, so Moms at Work did the first, the first um, study around women's experiences during their maternity leaves. So this was a Canadian study, but it's the first time we got about 1,300 responses. And 95% of the people who responded said that they got zero support, like no formal support going on leave. And as someone who built leave programs in short, long-term disability, I'm like, that number is wild because all of these other normal leaves are supported. So you have a case manager, you have paperwork, you have someone to help you through the process, but pregnancy leave, you're sort of left like wing it. Mm. And it's just more pressure on women to try and figure out how to do this on their own. So that's what we've been trying to fix, so to say, after we saw those. But the complaints were really common. Like four out of 10 women considered quitting during their return to work because they like, for simple things, they couldn't get someone to pick up the phone. They didn't know who their new manager was. I was a return to work expert. I didn't have a desk when I came back from my first mat leave, right? That doesn't say to anybody you're valued here. It says we don't care that you left and we don't care that you're here. And that experience is very common for people. I'm sure your listeners will be like, yep, happened to me too. As you're describing these experiences, it's interesting because I don't come from a corporate environment. I come from like a small private practice, a few colleagues working together, or you're contracted to a clinic, sort of more small business. And it was interesting because, okay, each time I had to express that I was taking leave, uh, kind of interesting, like obviously pregnant, childbearing age, wasn't really planning to get pregnant. So I feel like some of these pregnancies were just as much a shock to me as they were to my employers when I told them about it. But I remember the feelings of telling them because in this environment, it's like you didn't feel just like a cog on the wheel. Like it was a pretty small private practice or a pretty small, you know, like clinic and collection of people. So when somebody went off, like the absence was felt. And I just remember like, the worry or anxiety, the like almost like the taking on of the responsibility for the feelings of my employer in having this conversation with them, right? Like somehow I'm a bad employee or have done something wrong that now I'm going to go off on leave in a way that it's going to interfere with their business as usual. And it's not until right now in this moment that we're having this conversation that I'm reflecting on it, like that that's really how I felt approaching all three of those conversations that I had, frankly. Right. And I'm going to say that from an HR standpoint, you know, when people quit, they give two weeks notice, right? So we get two weeks and then they're not there anymore. Or people go on short-term disability or they go on long-term disability or they break their leg and are off for two weeks or they go on vacation for a couple of weeks. So from our mindset, you know, like having an employee out for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or even a year, usually it's not as dramatic as the women who approach it. Like a lot of people when they're pregnant are extremely anxious. They give us what I would consider even like way too much lead time Hmm. for when they're going to go off because of that guilt, right? Because they feel guilty for like leaving other people. And I always tell people, I was like, you know, I had three guys resign this morning. Hmm. (laughs) Like, and, and I used to have fill out a couple like job abandonment forms. People just didn't come to work. So this is um, a very normal part of employment that oftentimes people just are so focused on their situation that they don't see all the other things that are going on in an organization. But usually mat leaves, they're just not considered that big of a deal in bigger Mm -hmm. corporations, right? 
It also means they're not handled very well, though, right? right? Like, it's just part of how business goes. Right. And it's like, in those moments, like, what is the division of responsibility here? Like, as an employer who is, like, entitled to a leave, at least I can speak for my situation. I don't know where everybody is and, you know, what they're entitled to, but... Like this is well within my right. And it's also like while I will train a staff and while I will, you know, develop a plan with you, like my responsibility in this situation only goes so far. And and understanding that it is the companies or businesses responsibility then to come up with a plan to fill that role or contract that role out. And now on the flip side, as somebody who runs a business, like that's a part of doing business, right? Like that's part of just like when people have, uh, like, unfortunately we've had a few people who have had um, like families or who get sick, like these, like there's life situational things that happen. There are people who go off for bereavement. There are people who go off on mat leaves and, and it's just a part of business and being a business owner. So I think that for moms who might feel guilty approaching those conversations, thinking about like, what is my responsibility in this moment? Like, what am I responsible to take on and help problem solve? And what am I not will help to hopefully give back some of that to the employer or to the business owner for them to problem solve and sort out. Not that you won't contribute and be a team player, obviously, but that is theirs to own. Yeah. So just for context, because I always, when I talk to employers, they're like, oh, it's only a couple people. So in Canada, and I looked up this number before this, we have 108,000 mothers collecting parental benefits each month Mm. across Canada. 100,000 mothers, this isn't including fathers, just mothers are collecting parental benefits. So that means that's that many people exiting the workforce and then will be coming back. So the fact that this leave isn't properly managed is mind boggling to me because everybody spends so much money and time, you know, with these women's awards and, you know, how can we promote you? And I'm like, the best thing you can do as an organization is to retain these mid-level female workers during this leave process, because it's the number one off-ramping point for women. How they're treated during this leave will indicate whether they stay with that company or not. It's easily fixed. And so that's what we were focused on doing. We created like the most cost-effective program I could possibly do. It's like 200 bucks called My Parental Leave, because a lot of the things that women need to understand about this leave, employers aren't allowed to talk to them about, Hmm. right? Your employer can't choose how long you're off. Your employer can't tell you whether or not you should breastfeed. They can't answer a lot of these questions legally. I mean, it's very overwhelming to try and figure it all out. Mm -hmm. So we put together this program as a way to like support both employers to help them figure it out and women. And a lot of it's really easily fixed by transparency, support and communication. A lot of women, I'm sure you've seen the same thing. Like they've been waiting three years for a promotion. It comes up while they're on leave and they weren't called about it. So they come back and someone more junior has taken this role they've been waiting for three years for. Right. That's not necessary, right? Like you could get an email once every two months giving you updates or you could be kept on the, you know, like Slack server. There's ways to keep involved. They're like, they're really simple. It's just, it's been so under the radar for so long because it's seen as like a choice, quote unquote, like these women are choosing Mm. to go off on leave and we really need to change that narrative. Yeah. It makes me think about something that I've discussed. Oh, I think it was just in a post. I can't remember where exactly, but the messaging being, oh, you know, fierce, independent women and break these glass ceilings and go for your goals and do all of these things. And then you enter motherhood and it's like, actually, 
get back into caring for your children and how dare you miss that event of theirs at school because you had a work meeting and, you know, and so I really feel like personally in motherhood, that narrative and that pressure and that focus and that like rah, rah, like go get them really shifts to like get back into your place kind of vibe. And I think that it is so disheartening because it reaffirms this idea for moms that they have to give up all of who they are in order to be a mom. They have to let go of their identity. They have to let go of maybe the career that they were passionate about. And that's what makes them a good mother to do that. We talk a lot here about intensive mothering and the perfect mommy myth. And it has to do with being in proximity to your child all the time, being so like overly responsive in a way that it is unrealistic and giving all of your time and energy and resources to your child. And when we're met with that in the workplace too, it really just is another societal message that says, actually, you're meant to be home raising your children. And it's extremely frustrating. And there's so much potential in our women and in the mothers who want to work. And for those who want to stay at home, And that's something that you've chosen, that's your desire, and that's what you want for yourself, I feel like is something that's very different than feeling sort of squeezed out of a role or a position. And I think all of that was encapsulated during the pandemic Mm -hmm. when, without anybody saying it, right, women were thrust into that caregiving role with zero support. And my discovery of why that was, it was like the narrative started to be that women are choosing. I'm like, absolutely not. Women were not choosing to quit their jobs. But for example, I'm like, my husband and me, my husband makes more money than me. Right. Right. So when the pandemic hit, whose job are you going to try and save? Mm. Is it going to be mine? And I make half as much money as him or is it going to be that one? It's going to be his because he's being paid because the motherhood penalty exists because pay inequity exists. So right off the bat, we're trying to protect his larger income but there were no options. There was no daycare. There was no school. So questioning women's capacity to do two full-time jobs at the same time, we saw just horrible things happen to mental health. You, of course, know this. Mm -hmm. And we really saw how little society cared about mothers. Mm -hmm. We were the last line of defense and we continue to be like the default everything and are also blamed for, you know, our children's mental health issues during the pandemic. But it was wild and very sad that we had to witness that and witness how women were treated during the pandemic in everything from nurses to teachers who were thrown under the bus, ECEs, everybody, and the number of women who were laid off because they had small children at home. Mm -hmm. It's been wild and very uncomfortable to watch but it has also radicalized mothers in a way I never thought possible. Yeah. So we're redefining what success means. And we are completely ignoring the fact that there's a glass ceiling over there and starting our own things. So we're going to see an uptick in like small businesses. We're going to see an uptick in women moving to new companies where they're going to be treated better. We're seeing it, but it's going to get bigger. Because of this wage gap and because of this motherhood penalty, If our partner is male, they're probably out earning us just like because of how the system is structured. So then when something like a pandemic hits or when you've got to decide, okay, is one of the parents going to stay home to provide the childcare until school starts or whatever, 
the system reinforces it being mom because then it's like, well, if we weigh the pros and cons and we talk about this decision logically and like, are we going to sacrifice the bigger income that sustains our family? And then this cycle just perpetuates itself, right? And this is how I ended up on three consecutive mat leaves and like a total, I call it like my breakdown slash breakthrough of my mental health because logically it made sense that I was the one taking these three leaves based on the financial situation, based on, you know, the numbers that were sort of at play there. But when I really examine it, and I'm writing a little bit about it now in a book that I'm writing, like when I really step back and I look at it, there was no choice in that situation. There was no real choice. Like those roles were defined from us before we ever entered that season to decide, you know? Right. And the other thing that came out of the pandemic is those women who took time off, you know, now we're talking about like a two or three year gap. Right. Right. On your resume is also not respected in corporate and is seen as a weakness, right? I'm not going to, you know, pretend that it's not a thing. I hate the fact that I'm still on hiring panels where they say, so what were you doing these two years? And I'm like, it's like March, 2020 to like March, 2022. And you're like, mm, hi, pandemic. Um, what a stupid question. Right. You see, it keeps compounding the problem. And so the only way that we're moving forward with it is if we're getting companies on side because legislation takes a really long time, right? And in the States, we've got, you know, the Marshall Plan for Moms, Reshma Shajani is doing amazing things, Eve Rodsky, who's talking about, you know, fair play and equity at home as opposed to work as well. Like there's lots of people doing very great things, but we cannot sit here and wait for legislation to pass that's going to fix some of the problems. That's part of it. But we really are trying to work with companies and female leaders. This is my goal is to like gather female leaders who are mothers so that we can make those changes within organizations. We can shift that narrative because if we keep waiting for someone else to do it, it will take forever. Mm -hmm. Like as you're talking and as I'm thinking about the audience and whether they're on a leave or going to be approaching a leave or maybe there's a leave in their future, what are some things that are helpful for them to know their rights or a way to position themselves when transitioning off of leave? Like, are there things that they need to maybe keep in mind or do? Yes. The problem is there's like all the information is out there, but it's so hard to find. Mm. And depending on which province you're in or which state you're in. And I'm like, so my parental leave that we created, which is why we did it, because everybody's leave is going to look different. Mm -hmm. So the considerations for are dependent on your job. But the thing that we focus a lot on for return to work, which is the single most stressful point of this, right? Like going off is one thing, being off and you have a baby, all the other things. But that real return to work. That's where we come in, right? We're <laughs> we're like, yeah. okay, That's yeah, we we'll in. like we'll help you shift through postpartum. It's a wild ride, and then once you come out the other end of that, or maybe even not, if you're returning back while you're still in the postpartum period, which a lot of people do, and then comes that re-entrance into the workplace. So we really focus on. We tell people like communicate when you have one quarter of your leave left. So whatever that looks like for you. So if it's like four weeks, then it's like one week before you go back. If it's one year, it's three months before you go back is making sure that you have a contact there, making sure you understand, you know, who your new boss is and what those things, because we're trying to ease anxiety, Mm. right? There's so much unknown that it feels overwhelming. And so the communication piece is the first part. And the second part is really having a plan. So the standard for leaves is something called a graduated return to work. And we use it in every sort of leave, whether you broke your leg or whether you had a mental health leave, a graduated return to work looks like you might work three half days for the first week, 
two half days, one full day the second week, three full days on the third week, and then you ramp back up to whatever it was before. So that way you have, you know, some on off time, especially if you're transitioning to daycare or you've, you know, you're still breastfeeding and trying to figure it out. That transition is really important. And what I tell women is no employer is going to make that plan for you. But as an HR person, if you bring me a plan, I'm like 99% sure I'm going to do that for you because you've done all the work for Mm. me, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense, right? Like, so just put out the things that you need, put it in writing. You can use a calendar and be like, this is what I would like. For women in Canada and in the US, you can sometimes use your vacation pay, like because some people accrue vacation while they're on leave, you can use that to top up your GRTW. And some people just choose to take it unpaid. Mm -hmm. So it does make the transition much easier. And so that's the highest success rates we see are when people do that sort of slower ramp up. And as a therapist who works a lot with moms who might feel anxious, I mean, as a mom, you're going to feel anxious regardless, right? But like who helps with some of these transition plans and preps back in because it can be a lot is to keep in mind, like not having your child's graduated entry to daycare be on the same days, if possible, as your return to work maybe get them situated the week or maybe two before you go back and then be able to focus on your transition because both transitions happening simultaneously and the inevitable boogery germ calls you'll get about your child being sick, like managing all of that while you're in the midst of a very anxious transition yourself is a lot. So yeah, I would stagger those if at all possible so you can focus on your own. And I love the idea of a graduated entry so that it's more like tolerable and manageable. And the other thing is talking about childcare illness or whatever. I'm like, if you are in a partnership, that conversation has to happen at home because what I'm seeing oftentimes is the assumption is that you're going to be the one to pick them up. You're going to be the one taking the doctor's appointments. And like, this has to be a conversation because it is the number one tension point that I see for a lot of like the career coaching clients I work with on return to work stuff is that like they become the default parent immediately. Mm -hmm. And so having that conversation with your partner and making up a schedule to be like, if the call's on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, it's you. If it's on Thursday or Friday, it's me. Or if it's afternoon, it's me. As long as you're keeping it quite consistent. And if it doesn't look like that, at least you have an agreement. So there's not that resentment. There's a lot of resentment that builds up because of lack of communication within that pairing. Mm. Let's be clear, like in the disability management like guide, we're talking between eight and 10 days off a year for sick kids mm-hmm. in the first like three years. Mm-hmm. Like that's two weeks of work. It's a lot. Right. Yeah. You bring up such a really important point that I've talked with so many of my clients about. There's almost this assumption that we go into when we're going back to work that, okay, I've been on mat leave and I've been the default parent because I'm, you know, doing this parent thing full time, right? On leave. And when I go back to work, that actually the time will be divided more equally into the childcare and household labor. But as a matter of fact, it does not shift for most people. And so that resentment, as you said, like mothers are still carrying the invisible load. They're still the default for all of the school calls, daycare calls. You know, they're the ones coordinating the care, even if they're not the ones actually doing the care. And it reinforces again, I think even that taking time off or that need for flexibility or wanting to be part-time because that load doesn't unintentionally shift. So having those conversations ahead of time to discuss how this load is going to be split 
and not assuming that it will or not still seeing it as your job and role as mom and allowing things to stay that way. Now, one of the pieces here as well that I think is challenging for a lot of people that I speak with is in my example, been on leave for 12 months. Now I have accumulated this depth of what I call maternal knowledge that my partner might not have. I've seen every doctor and every specialist and I've been at every appointment and I have the context for a lot of situations that he didn't have because that was my full-time gig for 12 months, right? It's like if you're bringing on somebody who's 12 months your junior into a role to start picking up and and taking on a lot of those tasks, they're not going to do it how we would do it. They're not going to do it to this standard at first that we would do it because in some ways, they're still very novice in some of these areas. And that and the process of that and how you hand that over and how you work together is something that is delicate for some couples. And you might even seek the support of a therapist or really intentionally sit down with like the fair play cards and carve some things out or or whatever it is, because it is a hard thing to unpack when you are the default parent. It's hard to unpack a task without also giving the context of all the invisible pieces that go with it, because the task in itself often isn't the majority of the work. It's actually all those invisible pieces that go with it. And how can you hand that over and let your partner figure it out? For a lot of the things, because personally, me and my partner went through this as well. You know, I've got two kids. I've spent hundreds of hours at Sick Kids Hospital. Like I carry their medical files within me. I know everything about them or whatever. And what I've learned is that, you know, a part of that was me refusing to let go Hmm. because I felt that you know, I was the only person who could do this, but at the same time I was drowning. Right. So I'm running my own company. I've got three kids, two of them at sick kids. I'm like trying to be superwoman, And my job is to tell women <laughs> to like not do this. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this unrealistic expectation that I put on myself. And it was only through really looking at, you know, like with the fair play cards and whatever, really unpacking the fact that like, why do I care how the beds are made? Why do I care you know, that dinner isn't on the table at 6.15 and that he could do it and dinner would be on the table at 6.35, right? So letting go of some of these things that I had just taken and owned and could not let go Mm -hmm. of was really hard for me, not for him, but for me. And really understanding, you know, we've mentioned this a bunch of times, but with the fair play cards, it's like you are allowed to apply a standard of care. So I don't want someone to like weaponize their incompetence uh, to be like, oh, I didn't know where the soap was for the washing machine, things like that. I'm like, if you say, you know, the expectation is that once a week, the laundry will get done and it will be folded and put away and that's it. Like, that's okay. But these things, as you said, take a long time to sort of like let go of and unpack. And I think it's so much to ask yourself when you're heading back to work and trying to figure these things out my only advice to sort of your audience is that like, this is a process and you may need to work through with a therapist or someone because they're so hardwired about the things that your mother said were important to her that you hold on to, Mm -hmm. right? Like all of that stuff comes with it. So it's not really a you problem. It's having to unlearn a lot of this stuff. And it's really, really hard to do by yourself sometimes. Yeah, that's sort of the crux of what the work I'm writing is going to help sort of be a guide for people to do. And I agree that the earlier we start this in our leave, you know, the better, because hopefully these patterns won't become 
so ingrained that they're so hard to undo. But I remember this for myself and the pressure to be a good mom and the standards at which it comes with in our day and age that you can run yourself into the ground. You can run your mental health, you know, into the ground by trying to exclusively breastfeed and do everything as perfectly, you know, as we possibly can. And it still won't be enough and you'll still feel like you're failing because there's always more we could be doing. So this all-consuming perfect mother myth that we experience really drains and deteriorates our individual identity. And it wasn't until I was able to hand over some of those pieces and start to unlearn some of those norms and and give over. Like my husband is the primary contact for the kids' school, for their dentist, for their doctor. Mine too. Right? And mm-hmm. and mind you, if you're managing more complex needs, maybe both parents want to be triaged there or whatever. But I'm like, I'm in meetings all day long. And then I don't want to, between every meeting, have a voicemail from the school that, you know, my son forgot his glasses at home. Like it's too, it's too much. And it wasn't until I was able to do that and define what a good mom meant to me with my values and how my family sees it and how my husband and I see it, that I was able to have space in me to focus on my career and work in such an intentional way. And like, thank God I did. Like I run a business now. We've got a team of almost 20. And like, can you imagine the platforms we miss out on because we can't find the space in ourselves? And so- it's such crucial work. And I encourage couples to start like from the get-go as much as possible to divide out that labor. Well, and I will also speak to the fact that like I have three boys. Me too, me too. And so I'm raising them (laughs) to be someone's partner. Right. Right? Yes. And so everything that we demonstrate as our relationship and the expectations I have of them are what they're going to carry forward into the world. And that's what they're going to be as a partner. Mm -hmm. And so I carry that responsibility like very heavily because I was like, I won't send my boys out into the world to A, be jerks and B, to be a quote unquote, what I call like a bad roommate, right? Like you should pick up your own stuff, do the wash, do the dishes. Like my kids, they do a lot here because this is how we make change, mm-hmm. right? Within our own families is how we make change. We can't change, you know, things that were done in the past, but we can absolutely change them going forward. And my kids will come to me and they'll be like, mom, I can't find my, I'm like, my brain is not for your use. You need to figure out where your shoes are. I'm like, I am not going to remember where your shoes are for you because that again is more mental load. And my kids now don't even bother asking me anymore. So that shows how it works, but we are the default. Mm -hmm. Women have become the default. Where's my shoes? Where's my this? Can you volunteer for pizza lunch? Can you do this? Can you work a full-time job? And I just have recognized the things in myself that I don't care about. Mm -hmm. And I don't care about extracurricular sports and I don't care how clean my house is. And I don't care about those other things. So I don't prioritize them. And I know that other people do. So it's very hard to do this comparison as working moms that was really my goal with moms at work that I'm like, even people who look like they have everything together, like on LinkedIn and whatever, you know, they may have kids who have special needs. They may be caring for them, like both their parents. You have no idea what other people are going mm-hmm. through until they start talking about it out loud, which is why it's important that like you talk about this stuff that you do. Like I run a business. I've also got three kids. I'm trying, but I'm not perfect. 
people really need to hear that in an age of Instagram where everybody looks perfect. Oh, yeah. And like the way that I can run my business is because I have a team or I have a husband who we retired out of corporate who does pick up and drop off and cooks dinner and answers all the calls from the school and, you know, also works in the business. But when we free up our mind to define motherhood our own way, we can structure it in different ways for ourselves, for our family that is more in line with our values. And you know what? Like if you turned up at my house right now, is there hockey equipment thrown all over the front entryway? Yep. For sure there is. Are there dishes from breakfast still on the table? Mm-hmm. There are. But like there's no moral interpretation of that to me. Like we have a busy household and we'll do a family cleanup tomorrow afternoon. And and it is what it is. So it's like being able to like let go of those things defining me in my role. And and that allows, again, more space for this identity and this breathing space to do something for ourselves. And whether that is your career, like that's the topic of our conversation today, or whether that is frankly just anything creative, an outlet, a hobby, anything, whatever it is for you, like you are deserving to have that space. And I know that so many of the resources that we have, like we've got a values episode and a perfect mother myth and some episodes with Kate Mangino about equality in the home, like to our good launching pads to get you there. And Allison, I would love to hear about your resources and ways that you support moms in their like entry back into work and with their leave. Yeah. The website is myparentalleave.ca. And really it is. So we have on there like a daycare transition checklist Mm. and uh, how to have your conversation with your boss script. And the whole course is self-study with scripts and texts and email samples, legislation. Like we try and wrap it all, like how to make a choice between 12 and 18 months in Canada. Like how will that impact my husband's leave? Like what are my rights with breastfeeding when I go back to work? All the things that people are really a, either don't have the time to find out, B, are ashamed to ask because they feel like they should mm. know this. We do once a month calls like so that people can ask us anything because it really is a rare skill set. I know this now to be an HR person with this amount of deep knowledge. And we have an employment lawyer available and a lactation consultant who does just return to work. But like we're very much focused on the work part of it which usually everybody sort of talks about, you know, the mental health piece, which is where you come in, but nobody was willing to touch the employment part because there's so much legalese in there. Right. So our goal was to make this accessible. Right. And like, am I able to pump at work? And where am I going to pump? And where do I store my milk? And like these really seemingly, I don't know, logistical or like basic questions that are not maybe frequently talked about that are hard and awkward to navigate sometimes. Well, and we also brought in like we, me personally, and I know you've talked about this too. I'm like pregnancy and infant loss is not talked about at work. Mm -hmm. It is not. And it is horrible. Mm -hmm. So we worked with pregnancy and infant loss out of Sunnybrook, which is a big hospital in Toronto, to get some scripts to be like, here is resources for you. Here's resources for work for you. Here is something really easy that you can tell your manager. And we give people the permission. I'm like, You don't owe your work anything during a time of crisis and grief, but here's how the things that you can support. And I have seen nothing else like it Mm -hmm. as when I experienced pregnancy loss at work, my boss said to me, that sucks. Mm. That was the extent of it. And we are return to work experts. So if that was my experience in a consultancy agency that specializes, I cannot even imagine what other people went through. Mm -hmm. And also it's like, it's not just you that's experienced loss, like your partner has to go back to work after experiencing the same loss. And like, that can be even more devastating because they're not the person who like 
had the child. So we talk about that stuff. And I felt it was really important. I took all of the experiences from this survey that we did, and I tried to address the top 100 questions that we got. And I think we did a pretty good job without making it overwhelming. But there is nothing else out there. Yeah, because it's so much. It took us almost two years to distill it all. Mm. It was a huge thing. And on top of that, I was like, it has to be accessible. So at $199, I'm like, it's yours forever. But I'm like, I couldn't make this a $5,000 program. Right. It doesn't work for most people then. And 80% of people are employed by small employers, mm-hmm. small and mid-sized employers. So if I want their one person HR team to take this, they're not going to be able to afford that. So that was our goal was to make this accessible. And then from there, Moms at Work will always have, we have a very large free Facebook group in order to normalize these conversations, to hear about other people's struggles, to support each other. And then I run a program for careers called The Collective, and we're across Canada. And our goal is really to create networks with mothers in like mid and senior level leadership positions so that we can not only like change ourselves and become more empowered, but to change the workplaces where we're working. Mm. And it is wildly exciting to see the changes that are coming out of there. It's honestly so incredible, the work that you're doing and the fact that you are not held up in a HR corporate office somewhere now (laughs) and you are getting this content, you know, distilled into the hands of mothers who it has been so inaccessible to until this point is just so meaningful. So thank you for the work that you're doing And I absolutely loved this today. I hope to have you back someday, but thank you. We'll make sure to link all of your resources and uh, everything communities in our show notes so people can easily click through, find you, connect with you. And thank you so much, Allison, for taking the time today. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. I absolutely love chatting with Allison. We got off the air and we chit-chatted for a good hour afterwards because we've got so much in common and have such a shared mission. I'm so curious to hear your feedback on this episode. I want to know what your experience was as an expecting mother telling your boss that you were going off on leave. I want to know how you felt transitioning off to leave and how you handled that time being home. And I also want to know what some of the biggest challenges are that you faced in reintegrating back into the workplace. This is such a common experience for us as mothers, and this is certainly an area that we can bulk up our resources to better support you. Send me a DM on Instagram, email us at our hello at happyasmother.co inbox. We want to know what you need to help support you through this season in life. And if you find that you're really struggling to adjust and you're not feeling like yourself, I encourage you to book a free 15 minute consultation with one of our mom therapists. You can usually get an appointment within 24 to 48 hours. There's no wait list to book in and get the support you need. Visit happyasmother.co slash wellness. That's happyasmother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I am being joined by Dr. Sasha Hemdani. Dr. Sasha is a board-certified psychiatrist and ADHD specialist, and chances are you've seen her on your For You page as the Psych Doctor MD on TikTok. Next week, she is joining us to talk all things parenting with ADHD, and you do not want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. 
You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job.